Father in heaven, this is the day you've made. Uh, we pray you'd enable us to rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, we can only come to you in the name of Jesus. So in his name, in his righteousness, we come and ask for your mercy, uh, your blessing, uh, your smile upon us. Pour your spirit on us, we pray. And fill us with your word, fill us with good things. For we ask in his name. Amen. Okay, well, welcome back to Sunday School, or welcome for the first time, if you're here um, after the summer break for the first time. Um, before we get into the kind of what we're actually going to do, and I'll give you some sheets in a minute, but before we get into what we're actually going to do, just a word on, on kind of what this is and the term ahead. Um, the, the idea is not to have a second service at half nine and then another one at half ten. Um, so won't be, we won't be preaching or singing or anything like that. It's more kind of almost seminar style. And what we usually do is look at topics that... Um, you might not cover in the kind of mainstream preaching. So you'll probably have picked up that on the whole, we preach through books of the Bible. Um, and uh, therefore, this opportunity, this session, is just an opportunity to sort of look at some topical stuff uh, along the way. So in three weeks' time, we're going to start a series on worship, um, the blessings of worship, and think about what goes on on a Sunday morning. Um, after that, we're going to do a series, I've called it Being the Bad Guys in a Strange New World, um, basically, it's about how do we understand the world around us. If we lived in Mecca, we'd really want to understand Islam, wouldn't we? If we lived in Delhi, we'd really want to understand Hinduism. Temptation living in England is to think, well, there isn't really a religion in our country, or there's a kind of little vestige of Christianity, but, but, but that's not at all the case. Uh, and so we're going to think a little bit about kind of what does the world around us here believe? How have we got to where we are today in terms of the obvious issues like gender, sexuality and the like? Um, so that'll be the kind of second half of the term Nick's going to do a mystery series at some point as well as yet undecided um, but we're going to start two weeks first two weeks of the year a little thing I've called gospel life um, it's the beginning of the year go back to basics what does it mean basically to live in light of the gospel that's what we're doing this week and next week so just round tables to, to get get your brain into gear if someone was to ask you how you're doing as a Christian what sort of things would you think about in order to give your answer? So I'm not asking you to discuss how you're doing as a Christian with all these people you only met five seconds ago. What I'm saying is when someone comes and says, oh, how's, how's it going? How's it going spiritually? How's it going? How do you start answering the question? What goes through your head? What do you start thinking about in order to answer the question? Does that make sense? It makes sense to some of you. Enough hope to get the discussion going. Have, have a go around tables, just for some three or four minutes. I'm going to hand up some sheets. In the, when we do discussions, we're not always going to have feedback from all the tables, because it basically takes all morning. Um, but, so let, and let, let me guess some of the stuff you talked about. You can tell me if I'm wildly off. Um, I think what tends to happen when you say to someone, oh, how's, you know, how's it going? How's it going as a Christian? What tends to happen is our minds go straight to... Am I reading my Bible and am I praying? Basically, almost straight to the kind of quiet times. Become, I don't know why they're called quiet times, but they get called quiet times in English culture. Um, and if I am reading my Bible, I kind of think, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right. Um, and if I'm not, I think it's a disaster. Um, it might, you might have talked about other things. You know, am I, how am I feeling about God at the moment? Or am I being evangelistically active, perhaps? But almost always, it goes to... Yeah, the dominant things are, am I reading and am I praying? Have a look at the book of Colossians. Um, Colossians 2. 
Um, the Colossians have been Christians for a while, and they seem to have had a, a good desire to grow. Uh, they want to grow as Christians. And Paul, who writes the letter to the Colossians, Paul obviously endorses that. He wants them to grow. So look at the beginning of chapter 2. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom all are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Um, he knows the Colossians are Christians already, and the Laodiceans, but, but he prays, he, he, long, he says, like a long that your hearts might be encouraged to reach the riches of full assurance of understanding of the knowledge of God. So he's not saying, you don't know God at all, you don't understand anything, you're total pagans, you're total Christians. But he's saying, I, I want you to grow in that, to grow and grow and grow. Uh, but what seems to have happened in, in, in Colossae uh, is that people have come up with all sorts of strange, weird and wonderful ideas about how you grow as a Christian, how you go on. And Paul seems pretty concerned that, that, that a lot of them are unhealthy. Um, So, sticking in chapter 2, let me read from verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human traditions, according to the the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Verse 8, see to it no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. It seems that some in Colossae were saying, well, look, the way to fullness, the way to, to, to depth, to growth, is through these deep philosophies, these deep arguments. We don't quite know what they were, but, but there's a sort of a secret way to, to grow. A bit lower down, uh, verse 18, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, and worship of angels, going in, on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. For others, it's mysterious spiritual practices that bring growth, uh, increase in love and assurance. For others, it, it, it's weird rituals. Uh, verse twenty twenty one: If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Again, there's all sorts of fights about exactly what kind of the worship of angels looks like or what these kind of weird rules, don't touch this, don't it. But, but the, the, whatever the details are, the, kind of, the high-level point is, is pretty clear. In Colossae, there are all these strategies for growth. Rules, extra rules. Revelation, spiritual experience, worshipping angels. If you want to go really deep, did you know you could worship either with the angels or worship the angels or... Uh, these philosophies, this sort of deep thinking. Uh, they might be sort of one thing, these things, some sort of way they all wove together into one kind of strange way of growing. They might be different, no one really knows. And for our purpose, it doesn't matter. They're all wrong answers to the right question, which is, how can I go on and grow as a Christian? And so Paul, in Colossians, a lot of what he's doing is just trying to give them the right answer. Yes, you're Christians, this is how you grow. And verse 6 and 7 are going to be our, our key verses. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, just, just as you received him, so walk in him. Very simply, the way you began the Christian life, says Paul, is the way you go on. Just as you received him, walk in him. 
There's no difference. The way on is the way in. And so today what we're going to think about is, is the way in to the Christian uh, life. We began the Christian life by receiving Christ as Lord. Well, continue that way, says Paul, because that's how you've been rooted and built up in him. So we're going to think a little about receiving, receiving Christ, and that will hopefully help us work out how to grow in him. So, uh, it was receiving Christ as Lord that, that started you off, receiving a person, in other words, says Paul, that started you off uh, as a Christian. And it was receiving. It wasn't just as you earned your place in Christ's kingdom. It was just as you received him. Christ was a gift to you. And it was receiving him. So Paul is, is going to end up saying to the Colossians, look, don't try and move on from him and advance to deeper knowledge. Don't try and do something totally different once you become a Christian to how he became a Christian. He's not even quite going to say, grow in knowledge of lots and lots of doctrine. Or, or learn more... Um, Learn to understand more Bible books, obscure Bible books. Learn to understand what Nahum means and Haggai um, is about. Now, those are good things. And it's really easy, by the way, to start knocking knowledge. That's why I think, oh, you're just full of head knowledge. And you know, It's really easy to pan knowledge as if it's a really bad thing. And knowledge is always a good thing in the Bible as long as it's connected to Christ. So the whole point of understanding what Nahum's about or understanding some, some difficult doctrine or whatever is to lead us further and further into Christ. But ultimately, the way in is the way on. And the way in was receiving Christ. So background tables. Let, let's imagine you just explained the gospel to someone. Someone's come up and, you know, that person who, the flipping jailer who we never meet. Tell me, how can I be saved? What must I do to be saved? And you've explained the cross. Okay, imagine you've done that bit. Okay, we're all sinners. Christ died for us. He paid the penalty. Uh, and he offers to, to forgive us. And they then ask, great. So what do I need to do to get all that? I understand the cross. I understand, what you've, I understand what you've said. He died in our place. But how do I get it? What would you say? What would you say? Round tables. Um, what would you say? How do, how do I get all this? What do I have to do? Okay, we'll keep going. Um, that, that discussion, I think that's a valuable discussion because my, my impression is we're good on the mechanics of the cross, penal substitution, my sin on his shoulders here. We're, we're a bit less strong on kind of how I then receive that, a bit less clear. And given that Paul is encouraging the Colossians to keep going the same way they began, the question of, okay, how did I begin? How do I receive Christ is an important one. Uh, it's another way really of asking the question, what must I do to be saved? That question of the, the Philippian jailer. Um, one way, a good way of answering the question is you must repent and believe. You've got to believe, you've got to put your trust in Jesus. Repent, turn around from your walking away, turn back to Christ and believe, trust the gospel. And that is good, that is the, that is the Bible's answer. Okay, if you said that, well done, give yourself a clap. But still, there is a way of understanding repenting and believing that, that can just lead us slightly askew. Um, now, I don't mean at this stage to say, we all need to super-examine our faith and repentance to see if it's really true or really good enough. In fact, that's exactly the opposite of what I'm about to say. So it's not panicking. But there is a way of understanding, beginning the Christian life, that I think can, 
unsettle us for the journey afterwards. So for the last 10 minutes or so, that's what we're going to think about a little bit. Uh, on the, down there on the sheet, uh, I put a verse uh, from John 6, Jesus speaking. All the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. It's a, it's a great verse on the wideness of Christ's mercy. Whoever comes to me, whoever comes, I will not cast you out. We're meant to see the breadth of his mercy, but we really struggle to. So John Bunyan wrote the Pilgrim's Progress, wrote this wonderful book called Come and Welcome to Jesus Christ. And in there he says this, they, you know, those who are coming to Jesus Christ are oftentimes heartily afraid that Jesus will not receive them. It's a totally open promise, isn't it? Whoever comes, I will receive. Bunyan says, we hear that, but we just don't quite believe it. We worry that he won't actually receive us. And Bunyan introduces that not just from his pastoral experience, although he had plenty of that. Uh, it's perhaps the besetting and un- underlying issue for so many Christians. We don't actually believe Jesus loves us. We don't actually believe God will re- welcome us. But, but he deduces it from the verse from John six thirty seven. Really, his whole book is on that verse, and pretty much just the second half of the verse. Uh, why did bother Jesus saying, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out? Well, Bunyan says, it, it must be because he knows we fear he will turn some way, cast them out. He wouldn't waste his words. And yet, whoever is as broad as you like, isn't it? Jesus promises, whoever comes, he will not turn away. He doesn't say, whoever comes to me, having turned over a new leaf, I will not turn away. He doesn't say, whoever comes to me, having left sin behind totally already. He doesn't say, whoever comes to me, as long as you really feel bad enough about sin, and there's a scale and you've got to hit a certain level. He doesn't say, whoever comes to me, utterly certain, with no doubts, no trembles in their faith at all. In fact, he doesn't say whoever comes if dot 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 anything. He just says whoever comes. What we're putting is this, that the warrant or the permission to come to Jesus for salvation doesn't rest in us, but in him. We come totally empty-handed, not contributing anything. And that's why I said earlier that, that, that it's really easy to misunderstand faith and repentance as if they are the things we do to chip in. He's on the most part dying for us, but, but we need to chip in with repentance and faith. These things that we have to muster from within ourselves and kind of bring to Jesus. Um, but faith and repentance are not like that. In fact, Faith and repentance are not equal. We'll think about this more probably next week. Faith and repentance are not, they, they go together, but they're not the same thing. You're not saved by your repentance. You're not saved by your turning away from sin. You are saved entirely by Christ. And therefore, faith, in, in, in a sense, has the precedence. Because faith, um, faith is not a quality you have. It's simply your answer to the question, who am I trusting for my salvation, myself or Christ? Every human being has faith. It's, it's not a sort of thing. It's, it's just about who your faith is in. Christ or yourself. If it's in Christ, he will save you. And one of the ways, one of the ways that will work out is he will grant you repentance. He will slowly turn you increasingly from your sin. And the fact that we come empty-handed to Christ is seen time and time again in the Gospels. 
Blind people come to Christ needing sight, which he then gives. So Bartimaeus doesn't have to see before he comes to Christ. He comes to Christ and cries, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus says, let me see. Unclean people, lepers, people who need cleansing. They don't have to clean themselves up and then come to Jesus. They come to Jesus because they need cleansing. And he cleanses them. Dead people come to Jesus. But obviously they don't, I mean, that's the clearest example, isn't it? Obviously they don't come to Jesus. You don't get corpses walking up to Jesus. They're brought to Jesus. And they have life from him. They don't have to bring themselves to life and then come and ask for mercy. In other words, there's no power in the coming. Okay? That, that is not a contribution, my believing repenting. All the power is in him. All the grace is in him. The power isn't in our faith, but in the one in whom we put our faith, in Jesus. And we find this incredibly hard to get into our heads. But really, it's just another way of saying we're saved by grace alone. And to, be saved, to say we're saved by grace alone is to say we're, we're saved by God alone. On the right there, I've put that hymn, Rock of Ages. Um, I think it's the second or third verse. Not the labours of my hands could fulfil thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Even if... Who wrote Rock of Ages? Is it Top Lady who wrote Top I can't remember. Even if my, my tears over my sin were as strong as they ought to be, and they never are, you know, even if I really repented as, as properly as I should, and you never do, but even if I did, it still wouldn't atone for my sin. still not enough. And therefore he goes on, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress, helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly, wash me, saviour, or I die. He understands that he just has to get to Jesus for mercy. He doesn't need to bring something to Jesus to earn mercy. Look at my repentance, look at my faith. They're they're kind of shy graces. They're there, but they're not what qualify you to come. They're not what give you permission to come. Anyone can come to Christ. And he won't turn you away. Does that mean we don't have to repent and believe in order to be forgiven? Well, no. But, but even that is a, is a slightly tricky question. Do we have to repent and believe in order to be forgiven? In one sense, yes. Okay, that, that there's no, it's not that everyone in the world is going to heaven. You have to trust Christ. But, but they're not contributions to our salvation in any sense. They're not qualifications that I have to check out in myself before I can come for mercy, before I can come for cleansing, for forgiveness, for, for sight to understand more and more. And there's a difference, as I said earlier, between the two. Faith is, is that posture of resting on Christ's work for us. Repentance is then the ongoing process of trying to live for him from then onwards. But we're not saved by our faith, sorry, by our repentance. We're not saved through our repentance. Rather, we're saved by Christ through our faith. Because faith is not a thing in us. It is a, 
it's just another way of asking the question, who are you relying on? We are saved by grace alone. And one of the ways this works out in our lives, even as Christians, let alone as non-Christians, is that we suspect Jesus wasn't really being honest when he said, whoever comes to me, I will not turn away, I will not cast out. So Dane Orton, there's a wonderful book, Gentle and Lowly. Fallen anxious sinners are limitless in their capacity to perceive reasons why Jesus should cast them out. We're factories of fresh resistance to Christ's love. I think that's really astute. We, for so many of us, we don't really believe Christ loves us. We find, and we think we can find rather, exceptions to whoever comes. I will not turn away. Oh, I've sinned too often. I've sinned too high-handedly. I've sinned too seriously. My faith isn't strong enough. I have too many doubts and questions. My repentance, my hatred of sin is not really real enough. On and on we find reasons. So back, back round tables, just for the last few minutes. Have a look, uh, look at those last few questions on the sheets. Uh, what are some of the reasons we think Jesus won't welcome and forgive us? And can you... When you, when you come up with some reasons, can you detect any similarities in them? Anything that sort of ties together the, those reasons you've come up with why we think Jesus might not accept us? Again, back round tables, three or four minutes, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Okay, we ought to wrap up so we can turn church around. Um, one thought, and then I'm going to pray. Um, what, what usually ties together our answers when we fear Jesus won't receive us, won't receive us this time, this time will turn us away. Usually, almost always, the answer is because of something in us. Yeah, but I, I haven't repented hard enough. Um, I haven't taken his words seriously enough. I failed again when I said I wasn't going to in my prayers last time and I still have... I've done that besetting sin again, whatever it might be. Usually it's something in us. In other words, we think, well, I'm not qualified to come. And the whole point of the gospel is exactly that, you're not. But you're not meant to look at yourself and find qualifications that enable you to come to Jesus. You have none. Even your faith and repentance aren't qualifications. That's what I'm trying to get at. All the grace is in him. He will have anyone, so just come just come. If you come for mercy, he will grant it. That's how you begin the Christian life, and that's how, as we'll see next week, uh, it goes on. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll turn church around. Lord Jesus, you're full of grace and mercy. You're a priest to cleanse, a, a prophet who gives us sight, who enables us to believe, uh, a king who can subdue and, and rule over us, conquer our enemies of sin and Satan uh, and death. And we pray that we'd see in you everything we need we'd not try and bring anything from ourselves we'd not look in ourselves for a kind of warrant a permission to come but we'd see the permission is in you your character your mercy and your gospel grant us therefore we pray sight like Bartimaeus have mercy on a son of David allow us to see increasingly your love and your glory bless us we pray in your own name amen